morning, Cedar Valley. Good 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 morning, Cedar Valley. Welcome here. Thanks for joining us online this morning. And if you're new to Cedar Valley, if this is your first time joining us, welcome here. Very special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here with us. Arden, do you have one of these things? I do. We have a few of those. See, these are sweet. Uh, do you watch the, the live stream service on these things or do you have a TV? We actually use our TV just because the sound's a little better and the picture's bigger. Right, because this thing's <laughs> pretty darn small, right? You know, I, I know there's a number of people who either have maybe just a small tablet, don't even have a TV. Uh, I think we have an option for them. Yeah, actually, um, we have a safe space available at the church with uh, spacing and everything and all that. We've got a big screen set up and if you guys want to join in, just let the office know and you guys can set that up, come over on Sunday morning. and. Yeah, and that's uh, Sunday mornings, lots of space left, so let the office know, we'd love to have you. And you know what else? Uh, we think that there's something really fun about having a bit more of a communal aspect watching these live stream services. Uh, and so if you have people that you're comfortable with in your bubble, maybe friends or close family that you've kind of connected with throughout this summer while still being safe, uh, invite them over. If you got whoever has the bigger TV, have a little watch party in your house, that'd be fantastic. Jordan, could you tell everybody how uh, they could follow us on Instagram or Facebook or sign up for our email newsletter on our website to best stay informed about all the stuff happening around here at the church? Uh, sure. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and email to keep up with all the current events. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. As a church, we love to pray. If you have any prayer requests, you can head to our website, cedarvalley.ca, and submit one there. And that's where you can also sign up to be a part of our prayer team. Let's join together as we pray before the service. God, thank you so much for this time that we can gather together. Thank you for the ability to worship and to learn about you in so many different places. God, thank you so much that you are not confined to one building, um, but that you are in your people wherever we are. Um, God, thank you so much for just this beautiful weather and the chance that we have um, to spend time together with people. Um, Lord, be with those who have health concerns and who are dealing with illnesses and who are recovering. Um, God, I just pray that you would be with them and, and filling them with your love and your perseverance and that they would just feel a really good sense of community as they are healing from these things. Lord, thank you so much for, um, again, just this opportunity to join together. What a special way to be a part of your community and your kingdom here on earth um, in so many places. Lord, bless us as we learn and, and listen and love about you today. In your name we pray, amen. All right, in just a few moments, we're gonna kick the service off with a time of worship singing. There's gonna be lyrics on the screen so you can join in however you feel comfortable at home, humming, singing out loud, uh, however you do, however you wanna do that. Uh, after that, we've got Pastor Doug bringing us a special lesson for the kids. Stay tuned for that because it's super informative. Adults, you're going to enjoy it too. Wrapping up, we've got another message in our Ask Why series. Pastor Rob is going to be helping us tackle the question of why read the Bible? Isn't it just this old text that's full of irrelevant stories and rules and stuff like that? Like what makes the Bible so important to Christians? So that's a huge thing in our Ask Why series. It's pivotal to what we believe as Christians. What makes the Bible so special? So stay tuned for that. All right, so it seems like this summer, it became a really popular thing to finally tackle all of those home repair projects, all the walls cracked and the paint chips everywhere, maybe taking care of the yard, doing some landscaping. Amanda, did you guys get up to any like yard projects this year? We had a lot of time to do some really in-depth yard work. So I really enjoyed that. We have a five acre property, so I spent lots of time in the garden and that felt really good because usually it's a really busy time of year and I don't get to be in there a lot. We had some trees felled actually just this week. 
We're clearing our back property to put in some pasture land. So we had a big excavator up there all week, knocking down trees and clearing land. So yeah, some pretty big projects. So, so one day we'll have a big barbecue there, eh? Absolutely, that'd Sweet. be awesome. Okay, if you guys are watching live, head over to the comment section of Facebook or YouTube and answer this question. What kind of yard work projects or house projects have you guys gotten around to this summer or during COVID isolation time? Thanks for tuning in Cedar Valley. Cedar Valley, good morning. Welcome to church. Please join with us as we worship. Savior. 
that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the
Hey there, Cedar Valley kids. It is great to be with you again today. And you know what? I just realized something, that school is just around the corner. Well, not this corner over here, but that just means it's very close to starting. It's not very far away. And you know, whether you're going to be going to school back in a classroom, or whether you're going to be doing schoolwork at home, do your best learning. Because you know what? Learning is so good. And it's important that we learn. One of the things I really like about these times together is that we get to learn about the Bible. And as you can see, I've got a whole bunch of Bibles here. And they're different colors, different sizes. Um, this one's really big. Um, this one's really small. I could just tuck it right in my pocket and I can just take it with me which is pretty cool. The interesting thing about all these Bibles, they look a little bit different, but they say the same thing. They tell me how much God loves me. Now, you probably have a Bible at home, or maybe you have more than one, and that's pretty cool. But if you don't have a Bible, if you need one, you just need to send me a note, and I would love to get one to you. Now, some people say that the Bible is just a really old book with lots of rules and crazy stories about people. Well, it's not that at all. Uh, okay, it is really old. Do you know that the Bible is about 3,500 years old? Not this one I'm holding, but that's when it was written for the first time. This one was written just not so long ago. But the stories of the people, they're true. And you know, there's stories of people that were really very much like us. They had worries and problems and sometimes they were excited and, or scared or angry or they didn't know what to do. And it was all about how God was right with them. Also, God gave us the Bible to show us how amazing He is and to show us how we can be a friend with God. So, I've got a couple of questions for you here about learning. First question, what is something that lasts a really long time? Think about that for a moment. Now, you know what? I can make a hard candy or a mint last a really long time in my mouth. If I stick it in and push it way back there and I just go on doing all my stuff, do you know what? Two hours later, it's still back there. It lasts, I can make it last a long time. But what about things that really last a long time? Well, I wonder, maybe a castle made out of stone. Boy, I bet you that would stand for a long, long time. What about a huge, huge oak tree? Yeah, lasts a long, long time. What I would like you to do a little bit later on when we're finished hanging out together is maybe draw a picture of something that you think lasts a really long time. Well, let me tell you one more thing that lasts a long time. And we're told in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says, the word of our God stands forever. It says, other things are going to crumble and collapse and wither and fade and die, but not God's word. It will stand. It will last forever. How cool is that? Okay, next question for you. What is something that is powerful? 
could be like a roaring lion. Or how about a, a rumbling bulldozer? Or maybe a mighty hurricane with so much force. Boy, powerful things. I also want you a little bit later on to, to maybe draw or make something that is powerful. But also, I want to remind you what the Bible says about power. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, check this out. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. Wow! That's incredible. So that means when the Word of God comes into our heart, it speaks to us. You know, we might be worried or maybe angry or sad or lonely, or maybe we need to know what to do when we're unsure. God's Word is right there with us because it lives inside of us. And God's Word is powerful to change lives. But you know what? We have to put it in our heart first. So that means we need to read it and know it. Well, here's the last question for you this morning. How do you know the difference between something that is right and doing something that is wrong? Do we just get to decide whatever we want? Oh, I think this is right. I think that is wrong. Does somebody else just get to make it up? You know what? That would just lead to all kinds of problems, and it does, with people thinking one thing and people thinking another thing. What does the Bible tell us about right and wrong? Here, here's our last verse for this morning. Check it out. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible teaches us what is true and makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us and teaches us to do what is right. You know, God gave us the Bible because He loves us so much. And He wants us to live by what He tells us in the Bible. That's how we know the difference between white, right and wrong. And so, the next time, maybe you're sitting down and somebody's reading you a Bible story or some verses from the Bible, or maybe if you pick it up and you're reading it on your own, or maybe even if you memorize a verse or two from the Bible, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to just think in your mind and say, God, do you know what? How do you want me to live out that verse? How do you want that verse that I'm reading or I memorized to change me, to live inside of me? And that's God's Word being active and powerful right in our life. So remember, God's Word, it lasts forever. It is alive and powerful, and it tells us what is right and what is wrong. And that is pretty cool. So, if you want to do some drawings, something that lasts a long time, and then after that, maybe draw a Bible beside it, because that lasts even longer. Something that is powerful, and then draw a Bible beside that, because it has even more power. And something maybe that is doing right or doing wrong, and then the Bible, because it tells us the difference between right and wrong. It's been a great time with you this morning, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Good morning, Cedar Valley. Uh, my name's Brad. Uh, I'm one of the board members here at, uh, at the church. 
And I just want to take this time this morning to recognize uh, Terry Wills. He's been serving with us uh, on the board for several years. And uh, I, we collectively have just so much appreciated his uh, wisdom, uh, honesty, and thoughtful input into, uh, into leading us, our church. And um, as a congregation, we just want to bless Terry and his family uh, and encourage, encourage them and thank them for the time that they've, uh, that they've invested into helping lead us. They're not going away. Uh, his work has just brought him uh, to a place where he's not able to serve in that same capacity anymore. So um, that's it. Thanks a lot, Terry. Good morning, Cedar Valley! We are in a learning series called Ask Why. We are exploring some of the common objections or troubles some people have with the Christian faith. Today, we'll be exploring the question, like, why bother read the Bible at all? Or put differently, why would we believe it? In some ways, this could have been, and maybe it should have been, our first teaching in this series. Because all the teaching so far has been based on our understanding and our application of the Bible. To me, there isn't actually a more important question than this one. If the Bible is true, for instance, if it aligns itself most accurately with reality, then it offers us answers to the most fundamental questions of life, like, where did I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going? May I suggest, actually, that we be crazy not to read the Bible, if for no other reason than to explore the claims it makes about these truly fundamental questions of life. I think we're all trying to shape our lives around some kind of standard. Mine is the Bible. I've shaped my life around it because I believe that it reveals the truth as it is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. I'd like to share two reasons why I read the Bible. Firstly, because of its overall reliability. And then secondly, because of its personal applicability. Is the Bible reliable? Is it, is it accurate? I think it is for a bunch of reasons. And this is not an exclusive list. We could add more, but we'll talk about these this morning. Because it's accurate with regards to matters of history and science. It's just too honest to be made up. It's too unique to be fiction or to be propaganda. And because of its miraculous nature. Let's begin. And let's be clear. In the beginning, the Bible isn't a history or science book, but it does speak accurately of things in history and in science when it does speak to those 
topics. For instance, the Bible alludes to the hydrological water cycle a number of times, it might surprise you to learn. The prophet Amos wrote 2,800 years ago, he who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. The book of Job says, for he, God, draws up the drops of water, they distill rain from the mist, which the clouds pour down, they drip upon man abundantly. Don't we all know the truth of that here in the fairly moist Fraser Valley? In Job still, he wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. And Solomon, around 950 BC, said, All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place where the rivers flow. There they flow again. You can find that in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 7. These passages point to a cycle of evaporation, transportation, distillation, and precipitation. I love it when words all end in Asian like that. Long before modern meteorology named this hydrological water cycle. And how about this? Isaiah 40, 22 talks about the earth as being circular, round, long before, spherical actually specifically, long before we saw it from space. Here's the text. It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth. The word there in Hebrew is chug actually, and it is a reference to a spherical object or a spherical object, it is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That would be you and me. So sorry about that flat earth people. And take, for instance, this little historical nugget. Skeptics used to criticize the Bible for its mention of the Hittite people. You can find a reference to them in 2 Kings chapter 7. They used to criticize the Bible for its mention on the basis that there just wasn't any archaeological evidence to support the existence of such a people until, bing, in 1876, archaeologists, guess what? They did find evidence for the Hittite nation and its vast cultural impact on history, now common knowledge in the 20th century. Again, the Bible is not a history book or a science book, but it does seem to speak accurately on these subjects when it speaks about them at all. Let's also consider this, that the Bible is just too honest to be made up. If, I was look, if, if you were looking to consolidate your power and build your movement, as has been suggested of those in first century religious circles, or at least about them, why would, or the writers of these texts, why would we ever include stories that could confuse or create awkwardness or doubt, such as we read in the Bible, Jesus, the centerpiece of the Christian movement in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking God if there was another way to save humanity than giving his life for us.
Jesus crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus first appeared to women after his resurrection at a time when women's testimony, i.e. he is alive, wouldn't have been admissible in court because of their low social status. That his disciples were slow-hearted, fearful, dim-witted, not able to stay awake when Jesus asked them to pray for him, abandoning their faith in him when he was crucified, fleeing the scene to go back to their former ways of life, only making sense of many things Jesus didn't said long after he had ascended into heaven. Why, why would the Bible be so honest? Why would it tend to discredit itself with this kind of content? It seems to me the only logical explanation is that it must be telling the truth. And how about this? What other religious text is predicated on the inherent evil of mankind who is deserving of death? Like, that's a terrible brochure. Sign up. Join us. You unspeakably evil, death-destined pile of humanity. If men were responsible for the content of the Bible, it'd be, like, way different because of our tendency to think of ourselves too highly and to make ourselves look good. And then there's my favorite argument of all for believing the Bible is exactly what it says it is, and it says it is the Word of God, and that is its miraculous nature. Think on this for a moment. The 66 books of the Bible that form the Bible were written over a period of approximately 1,550 years by at least 40 different authors, most of whom did not know each other, and most of whom had very different occupations, a king, some fishermen, a tax collector, a shepherd. The Bible was written in lots of different locations, desert, prison, royal court, and in at least three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And the Bible covers no small amount of controversial subject matter. And yet, and yet, it has one unifying message that God gives life and purpose through Jesus Christ, his Son. Here's a thought experiment. Imagine gathering a group of correction officers from mission to sit down and write about something controversial in our day. What do you think the chances are of their thoughts being consistent and unified and aligned around one theme? Not great. And that'd be people all from the same location at the same time, doing the same work and speaking the same language. What then might explain the miraculous nature of the Bible? That it originates from God. The Bible says that all scripture is God breathed that all the words recorded in the Bible come from the mouth of God before ever reaching the minds and hands and writing sticks 
of the biblical writers. The apostle Peter explains how this was done. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. So prophecy here, meaning the truth told by God. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's picture here is of a sail of a boat being propelled by the wind. So to borrow the metaphor, the Holy Spirit filled the sails of the writer's minds to move them to write, while at the same time allowing them as little boats to uh, have their distinct writing style and character and language in the writing. But you might say, this is just circular reasoning, right? We can't say that we should believe the Bible just because the Bible says it should be believed, and that's fair. I think we could argue, though, that maybe the Bible deserves the benefit of the doubt because of its external reliability as it relates to science and history and its brutal honesty and its uniqueness so that we could take what it says about itself at face value. The argument goes like this. If something or someone speaks honestly overall, why would it not speak honestly about itself? So, I believe in the Bible because of its overall reliability, but I also believe in it because of its personal applicability. I believe in the Bible because I think it, it just tells the truth. If I do this, this will happen. If I don't do this, this will happen. For instance, I do reap what I sow. It is better to give than it is to receive. I am a fool to think that bad company won't corrupt good character. But it's, but it's more than just pragmatic. I, I can do these things. I can follow this line of thinking without being a Christian. I'm a Christian because I am drawn to the person of Jesus Christ. I am his namesake, the person of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible, who embodies the truth. He said, after all, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he also said the truth will set you free. And then we read this in John chapter 1 two different verses. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I know, it's a bit wordy. Oh, that's a beautiful pun. Word here is capitalized because it turns out it's actually a proper name. It refers to Jesus who was with God from the beginning, and who is God himself. So, we have here an ambiguated reference to two out of the three persons of the triune God of the Bible. In the Greek, the word for word, capital, here is the word logos, from which we get the word logic. But its meaning here is much more than that. It is much more than following a line of thought or reason. It is purpose. It is purpose for life. And it isn't even an it. It's a him. It's Jesus. Jesus, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
So following him, giving myself to him, leads to living in truth and freedom and purpose. Now, I don't always live that way. I often step outside his counsel, his model, his way, and I don't want to be hypocritical letting you think that I just crush this all the time. I'm not perfect, but I am, as we say, forgiven. Here's the best part. I am drawn to Jesus because he first loved me. He first gave himself to me, for me, for us, for creation. He made the first move, the grand sacrifice from heaven to earth. The Apostle Paul writes about that in, in his letter to the church uh, in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. He describes Jesus this way. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So that in the end, Jesus Christ died the death I deserve so that I could live a life like him. The truth is, we are born into a sinful world. We are sinful and we do deserve to die. The physical death, we will all die. And a spiritual death, which is life after this life, apart from God, if we don't trust Jesus Christ and the God who sent him in love. He came to us, God the Son. He died on a cross to forgive our sins, to restore our relationship with God the Father, who we sin against. He was buried in a tomb, but he overcame that through resurrection. This, that story, that narrative was all chronicled by four different first century biographers just years after Jesus' death, with hundreds of eyewitnesses to confirm these details. You, me, we are forgiven. We are restored. You are invited to participate in the full life of God here and now and in the time to come through Jesus Christ. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. You are part of God's creation. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are here to live a life like mine, loved by the Father and eager to do His will. And as the writer of the book Revelation ends that, particular book, you can step into your next life after this one, when the Father will dwell with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Let's pray. Father, uh, that seems all too good to be true. A day that would come where there is no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain. You will make all things new. Thank you that uh, you revealed yourself very globally in creation, sort of putting it there as a question mark and it asking who made all this really gorgeous stuff? Hinting at who you are, creative, thoughtful, animated, colorful, brilliant, systematic, all these things. You gave us your word so that we can see how you've worked through history, how you have created and loved us, how we need healing to restore our relationship with you. That how, how creation as a whole needs to be made new. And I'm particularly grateful that in the pages of this book, what we are really looking at from book to book to book to book, all 66, point to your son, reveal your son, show us who you are in flesh and blood so that we can live a life like him, but also avoid separation from you because of what he has done for us. Thank you for Jesus. And Father, if, there, if there's anyone who was tuned in this morning and is wondering, how, how, how might I begin this relationship with him? How, how might I draw close to the Father? And they've been wondering and seeking. I, I pray that they would talk to somebody who knows you well and loves you. And maybe they'd even call the church or a Bible-believing church to help them out. I pray that they would. Because you alone answer the fundamental questions of life, Father God. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? In Jesus' powerful and precious name, I pray. Amen. Have a great afternoon, Cedar Valley.